Welcome to New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated, and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Today on our podcast, we hear our sermon from this weekend, the second Sunday of Lent. Our scripture for today is Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him, in an instant, all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him up to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Thanks for listening. Let's get growing. Well, after almost two years, it finally happened. I finally feel like a parent. Now, that might sound pretty odd because I have been a parent of two kids for now four months and a parent of one child almost two years. But something changed a couple Wednesdays ago. See, after our Ash Wednesday service, I got hit with the flu. And I was out in the atrium talking to some people, and all of a sudden, I kind of felt this churning in my stomach, and it was time to get out of there. So I went into my bathroom and proceeded to do what people do when they have the flu. And when I rallied, I got in my car and took my family, and we went home and pretty much spent the whole rest of the night enjoying the flu, right? It was just one of those things. And so anyways, in the morning, I got up, and I thought, well... At least I'm going to have some time. I, I can rally. I can, I can feel a little bit better. And I can just send the kids with Ashley off to work. And so I'll just sit in the quiet, put the TV on at low volume, drink some Sprite, and just kind of rally. And so that was my plan of attack. And so Ashley took the kids, put them in the minivan, started driving down the road. And then about 10 minutes later, I got a phone call, which started with, Your daughter which is never good because when it just becomes my daughter, it means that something bad has happened. So it says, your daughter threw up all over the car. So I said, well, bring her back. So I actually came around, dropped her off, and then in my sickness, I got to watch my daughter also experience all the things that I was experiencing. And it was in that moment 
that I understood parenthood in a fuller sense. In fact, as I was sitting there and my head was pounding and my joints were hurting and I was cold and hot and, and being sick myself, I got to chase my daughter around. And she's not quite old enough to even communicate or really understand what's going on. And so her face would go from a smile into sadness. And when the sadness would kick in, I knew something bad was about to happen. And so I'd bring the bucket over and I would either catch the throw up or I would catch the throw up. One of the two options to keep it off of, off of the couch and all those things. But in that moment, like I said, I felt for the first time that truly I was a parent. And I thought of all the times when my parents were not 100%, when their joints were hurting and their head was pounding and they were tired from work, but still, despite that, they watched over me and they cared for me. And I thought, man, I get it now. I have empathy towards them. And I love them even more because I understood what they went through. Well, this morning, we're going to take a look at a section of scripture that deals with this. An amazing story of God taking on flesh and then putting him in a situation where he could understand what it really meant to be human, to be tempted, to be tried, to experience everything that we will experience in this life, but yet overcome it. And so today's reading is going to come out of Luke 4, and this is how it begins. Now, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Now, if you were here last week, we started a new series as we journey through Lent called Sacrifice. And the premise is pretty simple. The premise is every time we say no to something, that gives us an opportunity to say yes to something. And in the Christian life, we say no to certain things so we can say yes to what God has for us. And of course, that brings us joy and fulfillment and all these things. But we started this journey by talking about quite a story. See, John the Baptist was in the wilderness by the Jordan River, and he was watching over people and really calling them to be transparent about their lives. And he was calling them all sorts of names, but somehow it worked. And so he was kind of just saying, hey, if you are broken, if you are sinful, if you have some sort of addiction, if you have some sort of corruption within you, I want you to stand up, go in front of this entire crowd and seek repentance through baptism. And shockingly enough, people did that. They got up, despite what people would say about them, and they walked to John. And you can just imagine what the crowd was doing and how the crowd was responding when these people stood up. There was murmurings, and there was wonderings about what was wrong with these people, what was broken about these people, what was the sin that they were caught up in. But they went forward, and John would baptize them, and they received this forgiveness from God because they were being honest and open about their failures. Well, in the midst of that, Jesus was also there. Jesus was experiencing this moment and existing in this moment, and he too got up. Even though he was perfect, even though he had no sin, he got up in the crowd and he walked forward. And once again, the crowd, they murmured and they wondered and they gossiped that what is wrong with this guy? What's his sin that he's not exposing? And he went forward and he was baptized too. And he modeled for us this beautiful rite of baptism that we as Christians should walk in the path that Jesus had walked because that's what we do. We follow Christ, Christ's way. So Jesus, in that moment, was affirmed by God because when he was baptized, when he came out of the water, a voice from heaven said, this is my son who I am well pleased. I am well pleased with his decision to go forward and I'm well pleased with the direction that he's going with his life. And so he comes out of the water and God speaks that truth over him. And then a dove from heaven comes down, which is emblematic of the Holy Spirit 
landing on him and, and filling him with the Holy Spirit. And it's in that moment that we connect to this story in history. And this is what happens next. And he, Jesus, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. So Jesus directly after his baptism goes out into the wilderness and actually puts himself in a situation to be tempted directly by the devil. Now, all of us, we've experienced temptation on a daily basis, and there's different things that we struggle with. But Jesus was literally putting himself face-to-face with the adversary. And if that wasn't enough, this also was going on. He ate nothing at all during those days. And when they were over, he was famished. So Jesus is not only being tempted directly by the devil, but physically, he is run down. 40 days he hasn't eaten, so he is, he is hungry, he's tired, he's probably emotional, and he's probably a little bit sick, to be honest. And Luke writes this, this phrase in there that seems so obvious. He says, he is famished or he is hungry, which is kind of like, well, duh, right? After 40 days, you'd be hungry. But the reason Luke writes that is not to be funny. The reason Luke writes it is because Luke wanted to point to the reality that Jesus was fully human, fully God and fully human, which means he would experience the exact same things that we would experience when we were hungry. He'd be irritable. He'd be tired. He'd be a little bit sick. He was experiencing all of this. And then Satan begins his temptations. This is what happens. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. So this morning, we're going to see three temptations thrown at Christ, and every one of them are targeting his humanity. Every one of them are an attempt to get Jesus to step out of his humanity so he doesn't quite experience life like we experience life. See, Jesus, he was hungry, right? He was famished. He was hungry. He had fasted for 40 days. And so Satan says, just make bread up here. You're hungry. Eat something. No big deal. But what Satan is really trying to get Jesus to do is to experience life different than we have to experience life. You see, when we're hungry, we go to the restaurant. When we're hungry, we go to the store. We grow some food in our garden, or maybe we go hunting, whatever the case is for you. But we have to actually go do something to get food. What Satan is trying to do is have Jesus live a life separate from our lives. Live a life that Jesus maybe wouldn't quite get what we have to experience on a daily basis. Just make food appear. Just make that burger appear. Just make that bread appear. Just make that pizza appear. You know, you're hungry. Just eat it. Just make it appear. So Jesus responds. It is written, one does not live by bread alone. See, all throughout this section two, we're going to see Jesus' response are directly connected with scripture. Specifically, this comes from the book of Deuteronomy. It says, man does not live on bread alone. And what he's saying is this, this principle, this truth that we experience on daily life. That the things of this life, they move us forward and, and maybe they help us from day to day. But they don't really give us full fulfillment. See, that's only given by God through a true relationship with God. So Satan tries again with his next temptation. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me. And I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. 
So once again, Satan is trying to have Jesus step into a space to experience life differently than we would experience life. Go ahead, Jesus, worship me, and then I'm going to put you in charge of the whole world. You're going to be the king over everything, experience luxury beyond any human capacity. So Jesus, once again, says, no, I'm going to have the true human experience. And so he responds, it is written, worship the Lord, your God and serve only him. So once again, Jesus digs into the book of Deuteronomy and pulls out this truth that I'm not going to worship you and I'm not going to live in the direction that you want me to live to disconnect from the human experience. So Satan tries again. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. So once again, Satan is trying to get Jesus to experience something that's, that's not quite human. In fact, he even uses a section out of the book of Psalms and twists it slightly and says, go ahead, throw yourself down and just have the angels catch you. Throw yourself down and just bounce right back up and and have no result from this fall. See what Satan was trying to get Jesus to do was to not be fully human. Once again, to exist in a world where there's no cause and effect. You see, all of us know if we've lived more than two seconds, that life is based on cause and effect. We make a choice and there's a result. Someone makes a choice and there's a result on them and maybe on us. Or the world spins and things happen and there's cause and result all around us. But Satan wanted Jesus to experience a life with no cause and effect. Where he could jump from buildings and fall down and get up and not be sick and and have none of the issues and none of the infirmities and none of the results like we do in life. So Jesus responds, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. So once again, Jesus goes back to the book of Deuteronomy. says, we don't put God to a test. In other words, what Jesus was saying to Satan was, we live in a cause and effect world. And we, we all know this. And we know that God occasionally will step in and intervene. But we don't live our lives like that. We don't jump off buildings thinking, well, I'll get caught by angels or God will heal me. We live our life carefully because we know we live in a cause and effect world. But despite that, every once in a while, we know that God steps in. God intervenes. God creates a miracle. God does something miraculous. But we're not going to live our lives just expecting that to happen or really telling God that he has to act the way that we want God to act. So Satan, after failing in all three attempts, he leaves. It says he, he waits for an opportune time. Now, if we fast forward through Christ's life, we see this opportune time. This opportune time pops up once again in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus, once again, is experiencing something and looking towards something that every one of us as humans will experience. It's his death. So he's sitting there and he's praying and he's looking towards the cross and he's struggling with this. In fact, in the Bible, it says he was so stressed out that he was sweating blood. His anxiety was such at a high peak that he was actually feeling this physical strain that was affecting how his body was functioning. See, he had the same fears, the same anxieties, the same concerns as us. And as he looked towards his death, 
As he looked towards this moment, once again, Satan stepped in and tried to get him to depart. Tried to get him to live in a life not quite like ours. But we know the rest of the story. Jesus refused to walk in the path that Satan wanted him to walk. He took on 100% of all the human experience that we have so he could fully understand us, that he could fully love us. And he put his arms wide. And he became the ultimate sacrifice on the cross so that we could have a restored relationship with him. And then he did something amazing. He rose from the dead. The story of our faith, the reason we celebrate on Sunday, he rose from the dead. And in that moment, he shifted the storyline. See, not only did he become 100% human, but he allowed us to live in the space that only God can live. A space where eternity and the temporary meet. You see, in the story, we, we see something quite amazing. We see something true about sacrifice. We see it modeled in Christ's life, and this is what we see. In sacrifice, we have the opportunity to trade apathy for empathy. See, Jesus came down. He could have sat on his throne and just watched from a distance, but he decided to get his hands dirty, to walk among us, to experience everything that we have experienced. So it was beyond a doubt that he understood what it's like to be human. Beyond a doubt that he understood what it was like to be a part of his creation and to exist in the space that we have to exist and struggle through day in and day out. But there's a problem with this. There's a problem with this modeling. See, we're not really great at this as humans. We're not really great at taking on this idea of being empathetic towards other people. See, we want people to be empathetic towards us. In fact, it's even built into our vernacular. We say things like this, if they would just come down from their ivory tower, right? Or if they would just walk a mile in my shoes, then they would understand. Then they would have empathy. Then they would care about what's going on in my life. But right now, they're so far gone. They're so disconnected. They don't get it at all. But see, when Jesus came, he changed how we should operate. He changed how we should live. And this is the beauty of Jesus. I mean, even if you don't believe in Jesus, you should read the writings of Jesus. Even if you don't believe the whole story that he died on the cross for your sins, which of course I hope you do believe, but even if you don't, you can see the truth of his life. You can see the model that he has placed. And even if you just took that on, even if you just live that out, you would be better at life. I mean, just imagine if your boss was like this. Imagine if your boss would would come down from his 50th story building or whatever that is, right? Come down to the ground floor where you work, actually understood what it took for you to get through the day, understood the hardships that you face on a daily basis, asked you what was going on in your family. Isn't that the kind of boss that you want to work for? Someone that actually removes the apathy and actually steps into this idea of empathy, In fact, this is the type of people that that boss would want to work for him. Somebody who actually thinks through the strain and the hardship of being the boss. The stresses of running the business and looking at all the numbers and and hoping that he can pay all of his workers and keep the business afloat. This is the type of worker I would want. Somebody who walks into my office and says, how are you doing? No, really. How are you doing? How's your family? How's the stress level? How much time do you need off? What's going on in your world? When we switch that from apathy to empathy, we just naturally become better people. 
But as Christ followers, if we've bought into the cross, if we believe that Jesus really cared for us so much that he came and lived and died for us and rose again, this is not an option. See, by taking on the mantle, taking on the name of Christ, we have committed ourselves to being Christ-like, which means we walk as Christ walked, which means it's not an option to be empathetic. It's expected, which means we have to remove the apathy and step into the empathy to have people and step near them and walk alongside them and ask them questions about their life and what's going on in their world so we can understand them and love them well. And you know what will happen if we do that? If we actually care and we take on this model and we live like Christ and we step into our workplace or our classroom or our sports team or our hobbies, wherever we go, if we take this and care about people, their lives will be transformed. Our community will be transformed. As a result, our world will be transformed. And when we sacrifice like this, in that moment and in that time, we will see the true power of sacrifice. Amen. Amen.